2: yo what's up welcome to kind of funny games daily for november 10th 2023 it's a friday i am blessing adio a junior i'm joined by aftermaths gita jackson gita how's it going
1: it's going really really good it's a wonderful day to own my own website (laughs)
2: <laughs> Hell yeah, yeah! It's funny because just earlier in the week on the show we were talking about aftermath and the launch and all that stuff, and how I think it's it's such an exciting thing. But also, as you joined the call this morning, I mentioned that like I've followed you on Twitter for years, right? Like I've known about you for like probably maybe almost a decade at this point, or however long oh, you've geez. been in the game. I don't know yeah, if it's been I that long, but like it's been, been it's been a
0: while.
1: It's been a ma- It's been a minute. That's true. Like I started writing fresh out of college. My friend Maddie Myers was like, you know, those rants you make about video games on your Facebook page, what if we paid you $50 for one of those? Yeah. And then it's just been like, I never stopped. I have an intense hyperfixation on video games and I care about them a lot. And I care about them so much. I'm willing to start a small company about it.
2: <laughs> so. so how, uh, well, for people who might not know who Gita Jackson is, how would you describe yourself to the audience? And also like, where did you get your start? Did you, was it at Kotaku or was there a story before that?
1: Oh, God. I mean, the start is with Maddie. Like, I met her, Maddie Myers, who's the news editor at Polygon. I met her at an anime convention when I was still in college and I ended up, we ended up becoming great, great friends. And so when she was assistant editor at Pace Games, she was like, let me introduce you to my editor because I think you are a great writer. And I was, you know, the the uh if you graduated college in 2012 maybe you'll re- relate to this a little bit but the job scene was not going very good at that time so i really needed 50 dollars and i thought i might as well like i've loved video games my whole life we grew up my my i would always try to play my older brother it was my older brother had the consoles right so he would always be like you cannot play these without me watching you mm. but he would always if he got tech and he'd always want me to come through for that though of course. um second and then he'd let me play madden with him also and then was it one of those ones where he's
2: like i need somebody that i that i can beat like i need somebody yeah, to, to yeah. punch down on no, it
1: was definitely that and then he got mad when i would like figure out one move he couldn't block so <laughs> always did my course. strategy in fighting games yeah um madden also great did not understand football i know more about football than everyone else than i think that i went to college with at oberlin college but that's still not very much um and you know, from there, I realized that I was working a job I didn't like very much, a part-time job at a restaurant. And I decided I, you'll only be a recent college graduate once, so you might as well give it your whole shot. And the incredible support that I've had in this community of writers and thinkers and journalists has really like bolstered me throughout my whole career. And while I loved Kotaku, when management changes there happened, I had to move on. And then I worked at Motherboard by Vice, which is a tech website, for a couple of years. And Vice declared bankruptcy shortly after laying me off in an airport. So, you know, you have that experience. You give, like, your whole life to journalism, your whole adult life to journalism. And then you think, I love doing this, but I don't want to have to deal with the forces that make it suck, right? Like, mm-hmm. having a boss sucks. Like, I think we can all be pretty real about that. Any kind of boss that you've oh, had. Oh, trust me, you-
2: I know. <laughs> having a so boss it's the is worst. not
1: fun. <laughs> So now my I'm I'm the boss, and I don't have to argue for putting up stories that are politically sensitive. I don't have to argue for writing a quick kick about Kitchen Nightmares because it's like there is the gamer connection there, but also it's just a wildly popular show that I find fascinating, and I get to work with three of my colleagues that I four of my colleagues with Chris Person, and I I absolutely love everything they do. I love every single story on the site, and I think everything's fantastic. Uh, and I don't have to worry about management problems, changing circumstances for us, and randomly destroying our projects. So, that's like the story of my career—the long-term radicalization towards building my own business.
2: Oh yeah! So yeah, like you're here because you just launched a- Aftermath with with um, what's the crew? Of people, there's Nathan okay, Grayson. So there's who else?
1: There's Nathan Grayson. There is Chris Person, who did highlight reel like Kotaku, and it's just like a. He's a hardware freak. He's a weird, weird guy that I love very much. And there is Riley McLeod, who was my managing editor at Kotaku and also was managing editor for Launcher at Washington Post before that was shuttered. And Luke Plunkett, who is in Australia and not seeing this at this time.
2: (laughs) Hell yeah. So like, I guess my question is, what is, how would you describe Aftermath in terms of what you guys bring to the table? Because he mentioned that. So, like, the crew you have here, you guys are all coming from different places. Obviously, there's Heritage at Kotaku. There's, you guys are doing different journalistic work. Where you came through, you came together. You've launched this website that is still leaning into the journalistic side of things, right, which is really fun for me to see because, as I as I talked about earlier in the week, you know, you look at Kind of Funny, and we're, we're video, we're podcasts. You look at plenty of other crews that, like, either leave their um, media outlet to start their own thing, and it's usually, like, a YouTube thing. It's really cool to see you guys stick to doing the written word, doing the opinion pieces, like putting out pieces that are of these about these fascinating topics or personal things. Right. Like what is what is the reason you guys are doubling down in this space?
1: I mean, I think the dissolution of a lot of the journalistic enterprises at websites like Kotaku, which had layoffs yesterday and Washington Post, which shut down their gaming vertical and Vice, which closed Waypoint, their gaming vertical advice. Uh, it makes us all the more determined to just do it in spite of them right mm-hmm. like it's clear that it's certain forces in the world of video games the corporations that we report on for instance love it that there isn't a robust a robust press to challenge them and you see there's a lot of issues in video games there's a huge amount of labor issues in video games there are huge layoffs at studios you know the destiny 2 layoffs which was as a fan of destiny two really upsetting to see that they laid off a composer who i feel is like really integral to what makes destiny 2 occasionally really exciting and really really good you know and there's a lack of stability across media and it feels like if corporate entities cannot find it in their hearts to support journalism we are stubborn enough to just do it ourselves hell yeah and we want to do it without like a lot of the you know, the BS that comes with having to work for a corporate entity, Uh, 404 Media, which is my friends from Motherboard who are also started a a worker owned, reader supported website. They just reported that a lot of the big problem that comes to uh, like controversial stories is advertisers being so afraid of having their ads next to a story that is political in, in any way at all. So if we are going to have like a room for reporting in this space it feels clear to me that it has to come in a new form we can't deal with having to negotiate ad packages while trying to report out stories that have to do with labor issues or that might not make studios very happy we have to do it for our readers above all else you know like Mm. it has to be for them and not for the advertisers
2: oh yeah well, I love to hear that again, like shout out to you guys for doing the damn thing, launching a website. I'm very excited to see what the present, present and the feature is of aftermath. And I'm excited for you guys to like, again, to continue to double down on the written word and continue to double down on having these fun, quote unquote, fun conversations, right? A lot of the conversations aren't fun <laughs> to have, right? But you guys, there are, there are important conversations that you guys yeah. are doubling down on. And so very much appreciate that. Um, no problem. one more question before we get into the show This is a question I like to ask anybody who comes through for KFTD. What is your favorite game of all time?
1: oh man it changes frequently a lot of the days i think today i want to say eco eco Fuck yes is such a beautiful game it is one of the first games that made me think more deeply about video games as a medium about how they can take inspiration from things that come from outside video games like renaissance painting is like a huge aspect of of the aesthetic of eco and also it I I spent most of my time playing Eco, like watching it over my older brother's shoulder. It was like this moment of deep connection, of appreciation for art between the two of us. He would help me with the puzzles when I couldn't understand because I was a child, uh, and just it it hit my brain at exactly the right time to permanently alter my brain chemistry. <laughs> you oh know? yeah,
2: was it, did yeah. you play? Did you? I assume you play Shadow of the Colossus.
1: Oh yeah. Did, yeah. did you it's love it also, in a similar way? It's a work of art. Like oh I, yeah those are perfect games i have so much love for the specific sort of culture that the ps2 games of that style like really cultivated the ps2 era is to me like the pinnacle of gaming 1, <laughs> you know I, think this, I love all the weird wild stuff that was on that system and i'm always hoping for a return to that you know i think um that wonderful tim rogers video tim rogers another friend uh, about boku no nazis also like it shows you how much in the begin ps2 and ps1 era sony really invested in things that would be outside of the beaten path things that would be distinctive that would give sony an edge in terms of their weirdness and wildness and also like a lot of those things changed gaming forever. Yeah, so that's like cool. dude,
2: I mean the the amount of influence it is so understated. The amount of influence that a game like Eco has had, right? And like when you look yeah. at Shadow of the Colossus, because what you look through, you look at games like Journey, you look at games like Pathless, you also look at games like Elden Ring and what From Software yeah. does, yeah. and yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, like Miyazaki Elden talks Rings about feels- his influence of Echo.
1: Yeah, it it gives you no instruction, right? But the game itself is a puzzle. Every single thing that you do in the game, every single moment you have, it's all been meticulously designed, but in a way where it doesn't feel designed, where it just feels like a place. And then also the narrative emerges without the player having to really learn anything about the lore. It's just surrounding you in every single moment. And it's simplistic, but also feels very deep. And it's just beautiful.
2: Very beautiful. Keita? Let's talk about today's stories, which include Modern Warfare 3 getting made in 16 months, the story behind behind IO Interactive, and more, because this is Kind of Funny Games Daily. Each and every weekday live right here on youtube.com slash games and twitch.tv slash games, We run you through the nerdy news needs to know about. If you're watching live, you can correct us when we get stuff wrong, by going to kindoffunny.com slash you're wrong. If you don't want to watch live, you can watch later on youtube.com slash games, or you can listen later on podcast services around the globe by searching for kind of funny games daily remember you can use ever creator code kind of funny on all epic store and epic in-game purchases like rocket league and fortnite to help support the channel to be a part of the show head to kind kfgd to write in with your questions squad ups and more and remember patreon.com slash kind will get you the show ad free plus a bevy of bonus content housekeeping for you a new PS I Love You XOXO is up right now where we unbox the PlayStation portal that is, of course, up over on YouTube.com slash games. Does Greg unbox it like a madman and tear it open? You'll have to click into the video to find out. But I'm sorry, I do a great job. All right, Bear was capturing this. I was opening that thing smooth. I didn't, I didn't tear anything. I mean, Beautiful. until maybe, later in the video. <laughs> maybe you
3: got peer pressured into something. Who knows? Who knows? You know, who's to say? You got to watch the episode. If you try to rip something open and it looks kind of pathetic.
2: This and that's <laughs> why I don't do it. It's because, like, I, I don't commit all the way. Like, I could just, you know, use 100% of my strength, Barrett. Uh-huh, but yeah. I'm commit like, bless. I'm like Goku. I'm like Goku when he went to the world tournament and it was wearing like the fucking weighted shoes or whatever. It's like, I gotta yeah, hold yeah. back. You know what I mean? <laughs> if I fucking tear this thing with well, all my I might, I might break the product <laughs> You yeah. know, yeah. I'm not gonna break these earbuds uh more housekeeping for you we got two special presentations uh, of course barrett ranks every persona game in the franchise and greg pitches uh, wwe 2k as a live service uh these are here because of your support so you can come watch them on youtube.com slash kind of funny games and also we got the nerf alice iconic shirtless spider-man t-shirt up it is a premium collector's item this month on patreon so go over to patreon.com slash kind of funny to go check that out Um, we got no typical Games Daily post show today, uh, because Greg is going head to head with Charlotte Cardin in a karaoke battle. What a, what a company this is, (laughs) because I don't know what any of those words mean, but they're happening. (laughs) They're happening right after the show. So you're not getting a post show today. Um, thank you to our Patreon producers, Jackson Hampton and Delaney Twining. Today we're brought to you by Shady Rays and Rocket Money, but we'll tell you about that later for now. Let's begin with what is and forever will be the roper report
3: <laughs> it's time for some
2: news we have
3: five stories today <laughs> A Baker's dozen.
2: Starting with our number well, let's just not do the smoke. <laughs> God damn. <sighs> I it's such a depressing thing. Have we like
3: <laughs> so sad. Is, I'll, I'll look God. at I'll look at the other one. Is the hope that like the other one will magically start working again Like maybe he'll look at the other one and be like, oh, I should try this time. You
2: know? uh, yeah, maybe I'll wake up today <laughs> and it's like, nah man, I'm depressed. <laughs> I'm just gonna stay in bed. Alright, well, maybe next week. Let's start off with story number one. Modern Warfare 3 was reportedly developed in just 16 months. I'm pulling from Tom Ivan at VGC. Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3 and some of its creators reportedly suffered from a rushed development cycle that saw the game's campaign made in about 16 months. Over a dozen current and former Call of Duty developers told Bloomberg that the project initially started life as an expansion to last year's Modern Warfare 2, which would have taken place in Mexico and have been achievable in that time frame. However, it's claimed that Activision executives later rebooted the project, telling developers at Sledgehammer Games that it would instead be a full-blown sequel featuring the globe-trotting adventures that the franchise has become known for. Some staff, who reportedly had to work nights and weekends to finish the game, said that they felt let down because they'd promised that this type of crunch wouldn't happen again after the studio's previous game, Call of Duty Vanguard, was made under a similarly constrained development cycle. Developers also expressed frustration at having to seek content approval from, from original Call of Duty developer and Modern Warfare subseries creator Infinity Ward, a process which was reportedly inefficient and sometimes resulted in significant and unwanted changes having to be made. An Activision spokesman uh, denied that the project was originally planned as an expansion, claiming that it was conceived as a premium game from the outset sledgehammer studio uh, studio head aaron halen told bloomberg some developers may have believed the game was an expansion because it is a new type of direct sequel to modern warfare 2 that for the first time allows uh, allows players to carry forward many weapons and cosmetic items from one game to the next in a publicly released statement halen added quote we're proud to be the team to lead the way on modern warfare 3 we have worked hard to deliver on this vision, which has been years in the making. Anything said to the contrary is simply not true. This is our game and we cannot wait to play it online with all of you. End quote. Gita, have you been keeping up with the modern warfare three situation?
1: A little bit, a little bit in the background of things, you know, I see, I'm a simple person. I see Jason Schreier has written an extremely long report and I read it, you know, yep. Um, but it is just sort of the story of modern game development at this time, right? Workers speaking out about being put into situations where they are experiencing huge amounts of crunch. What's really depressing here is that they were promised this wouldn't happen again, and yet here we are. I think if you play video games frequently, you're aware of how long it takes to really make a game. It takes a lot of resources and a lot of time. And you would it felt suspiciously too soon when I saw that there was a new Modern Warfare i had my suspicions from the get-go but yeah it's 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 really frustrating to hear i can't imagine what it was like to work on this having to work nights and weekends for extremely long periods of time
2: yeah it's it's pretty wild to see like you know earlier when the embargo went up the whole thing like the big thing i saw blow up was that ign gave the, the game what like a 4 out of 10 um yeah, like a like a, so a historically low score for a call of duty campaign right and then like the question is how did we get here like why is it like this you know why are you doing like it was very fascinating re- reading through the ign article right and it being yeah yeah there are these open missions that are just doing like these uh re-templated things from the uh, multiplayer maps um you know like the it's not engaging it's not as interesting and yeah like a ca- 16 months to develop a video game in 2023 as we all know is not nearly enough time right like when we're talking right. about games that we're looking forward to you know by default i am thinking all right maybe four to five years for this thing to yeah. get made right no, maybe three exactly. years if you're working fast 16 months for a call of duty seems insane and what's even more yeah. insane is the idea that um uh, Aaron halen here right talking about oh yeah like our workers probably thought it was an expansion because you know we're doing this new direct sequel and it's like is The people making the game don't understand that it's a sequel. That doesn't, one, that doesn't seem right. But then also, if that's the case, if your own workers are misunderstanding what this thing is, then that's not on them. Like no, that is a communication exactly. breakdown. If that's yeah, true. Yeah, uh the
1: saying? A fish rots from the head, right? It comes from management. When you see, a, if you get a bad product in your hand, nine times out of 10, I would almost be willing to say 10 times out of 10, it's becoming because management dictated it, not because it's what the workers wanted to do.
2: Yeah, 100%. I want to bring in this question from Hope, who writes it in accountofund.com kind of slash KFGD, just like you can, and says, Do you think Xbox will keep COD as a yearly $70 release? It seems like this cadence is slowly becoming unsustainable because games are taking longer to make. Plus, now that they're under Xbox, what if a support studio wants to make something else? Xbox's Xbox's messaging to studios post-acquisition has been, quote, make what you're passionate about uh, since the first batch in 2017. If Xbox allows studios to work on other projects, how will the Call of Duty money printing machine stay afloat? And I think... This is a fascinating question because yeah, like I think things have to change to some extent with Xbox gaining ownership of Activision Blizzard, but the question is how because yeah. I think you still want that balance of making all the money that you're making off of Call of Duty. I've said it from the beginning that as Xbox, you don't buy Activision Blizzard and Call of Duty to then go, "Hey, let's stop making Call of Duty money." <laughs> like, let's <Yeah>. let's <laughs> l- let's make less Call of Duty. I don't think that's yeah. the direction we go, but I do think that the right direction is let's make healthier Call of Duty because yeah right now things look like Call of Duty isn't healthy you know like we have so much of it Sledgehammer has put out Vanguard and then now Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3 two of the two Call of Duty games that haven't had the best reception when you look at Call of Duty overall and I don't think it's their fault right I think it's the fault of bad management and trying to have this turnaround of a game in 16 months that can't be made in 16 months
1: yeah i know this is like a hundred years ago in video game and technology time but i remember when there was a yearly uh ubisoft christmas game every single year and like the first couple of times that happened with assassin's creed it was pretty sick like those games are really great and then the games got worse and worse and worse and worse and it's just because like there's not enough time to make a game and iron out everything you need to have in a major blockbuster release like with a lot of spectacle and a lot of hype there's just not enough time to do that once a year. Uh, do I think Microsoft will continue doing this? I mean, yes, I do, but I also don't think that it's going to lead to the kinds of returns on their investment that they're expecting.
2: Yeah, and I think it's it's interesting because I think now that you have the Game Pass model as well and you have I it's not just the Activision machine anymore, right? It is the Activision machine combined with the Xbox Microsoft machine. I think you're able to try and figure out how to make Call of Duty best for Game Pass and then also like also like other platform releases, right? But I think you're thinking Game Pass first now. And I think with that, yeah, yeah like we're still gonna get a lot of Call of Duty. But I think the fact of the matter is that in twenty twenty three, right now, we're getting more Call of Duty than ever because it is the same yearly call of duty that we've always gotten it is now also you're getting Warzone and big updates to Warzone as well and then you're getting call of duty mobile at the same time like Just that is a lot it, there that is a lot of call of duty to continually get and i think with that you have space to to free up right you have space to slow down a little bit i think if it is we're gonna keep uh now i'm trying to think of the call of duty series. we're gonna keep infinity ward with modern warfare and then is it Treyarch that does Black Ops? We're gonna keep Treyarch doing Black Ops, and then Sledgehammer, like we're actually gonna have you work on a different IP. We're gonna have you actually work on something completely different. We're gonna have those two work on the main Call of Duty games, and have it be a every other year thing, or a you know year on year on year off thing. Like we kind of got with Assassin's Creed for a little bit. Um, I think whatever way you have to shake it up because this isn't working, and I don't think it's this is the same way that I talk about with like Pokemon. I've mentioned this uh, recently yeah. too that I think. If you put out multiple, like bad, um, like mainline products, you then, you then start to solely the entire thing. Right. And like, yeah. I don't think you can afford putting out multiple four out of tens in a row. I think then yeah. you start to see like other people see an opportunity to maybe like t- uh, take a bite of that pie or take a piece of that pie and see if they can like move into the FPS space. Cause yeah. yeah, people like the quality, the quality starts to deteriorate on people's passion about, about the franchise
1: you know pokemon is an interesting example because part of the reason it's a money printing machine is that it's like a large part of the buying basis for that game is their children their kids that are getting it for christmas you know alongside their little switch lights and that's great but also children do also notice when the games are bad <laughs> you know yeah children notice when the games when they're the toys they get for christmas simply don't work you know they deserve also to have really good, uh well performing games that are not four out of tens, and they will go elsewhere. They the, the Pokemon will cease being so profitable if the product is not good.
2: Yeah, and I think you know I, I do think that to Hope's question of you know like Xbox's thing has been letting people make what they want, letting people like lead with passion and all that stuff. I mean I do think that out of Treyarch and Infinity Ward, you probably have quite a bit of passion for Call of Duty. You know, like I know people that work in Call of Duty; they're very happy and proud to work work on Call of Duty, right? Like it's not a thing of, oh man, we're tired of this. But I do think for Sledgehammer, they've gotten the short end of the stick with the last couple. Yeah. Um, you know, so, so Vanguard, um, at the end of the year, or maybe the beginning of the following year, right? Like uh, Activision was talking about their numbers, and they were they weren't happy with the Vanguard numbers even though Vanguard was still the highest selling game of the year that year, right? Like they looked at Vanguard and they're like, oh man, didn't do what we wanted to do. And then also I think the, the fan base also kind of looked at Vanguard and went, oh man, well it's not modern warfare or black ops. So we don't really care as much. Right. And now we're here with modern warfare three and it feels like it's about to be the same thing of, okay. Like by the time we get there, I'm sure they're they're not going to be happy with the numbers. And I'm right now the fans aren't happy with the campaign, right? Let's see how the multiplayer goes. But yeah, you got to shake things up. I think you got to free up, um, uh, you know, the studio, the sledgehammer to work on their own thing, you know, and like find something else they're passionate about or like give them the time and space they need to make a good Call of Duty. I think it's one yeah. or the other. But I also think with how much Call of Duty we have right now, I think Modern Warfare and Black Ops can be the two pillars along with Warzone and that work fine. Do people yeah, want to call it, of duty colon really anything did. else?
1: yeah no i i really enjoy i used to play warzone with my friends from motherport and that was always really fun uh it's like it's a great game to be a little a little gremlin in basically yeah um (laughs) that's what it's basically for for me but it's it's totally possible to do this in a sustainable way and the reason why it's not happening is because management is desiring more profit and more growth. Yep. Yeah, like Call of Duty makes has more money than God, like they really do. But if you are a company with investors that want in returns on their investments, then you have to continually make more money hand over fist every year. And we might be hitting the ceiling on how much money Call of Duty can make, and that should be fine but it's not fine for the people up top you
2: know like bobby kodak is like ceiling what's (laughs) ceiling like no put out another modern warfare (laughs) (laughs) Uh, let's move on to story number two companies were offering a single dollar for io interactive this is joshua Wolens at pc gamer it's a fascinating story it might be strange to recall after hitman 3's stonking success but series developer io interactive was in a very precarious situation not so long ago when 2016's Hitman failed to please IOI's owners at Square Enix, the company or the corporation began scrabbling around uh, looking for someone to take the studio off its hands. We know how that turned out. Thankfully, IO Interactive eventually managed to buy itself out from under Square Enix. But a recent feature in Edge magazine has cast a little light on, on just how much worse things could have been for Hitman and IOI in general. We're talking free-to-play Hitman, companies offering $1 for the whole studio levels of Grimm. Quote, I didn't even have 90 days into taking over as CEO, uh, CEO Hakan Abrak told Edge, and that, the IO Interactive CEO, Hakan Abrak told Edge. Quote, and then I got a call from Square Enix President Matsuda-san, uh, we have to divest IO. It came as a shock, but the nasty arithmetic of it all shook out. Quote, looking at the books... IO had not made money for almost 10 years in a row. Uh, by the time Square Enix started to, uh, looking into divesting it, uh, said Abrock, and the fact, uh, or in that fact, made, uh, made acquiring it an unappealing prospect for most other potential owners. Quote: Some companies would offer one dollar to take over IO because of the responsibilities and running costs, said Abrock. While others discussed the possibility of reducing the studio to a fifth of its size and just do, just doing free-to-play with Hitman, Abrock wasn't enthused. Telling Square Enix that uh, if that's what the company wanted, I will do everything I can to make the transition as smooth as I can. But I don't believe in this and I will not be a part of it. We couldn't pay, yeah, right. Uh, we couldn't pay anywhere near near what uh, potentially a big company could. Said Brock, though, noting that it could have matched the one dollar offers. But the studio uh, paid what we could, and we came up with a deal where Square Enix kept a minority part, kind of like a lottery ticket for them. Uh, apparently, that was enough to satisfy IO Interactive's former bosses, who even consented to let the studio keep the various properties it had trademarked prior to its two thousand nine acquisition.
1: I, well, that's an uh, yeah like an unusually generous corporate offer right but that, yeah. that out. oh
2: super sure. generous and <laughs> yeah. it worked out i want the list of people that were like we'll pay one dollar <laughs> for io interactive yeah, no
1: give me names <laughs> like, i want to know
2: because that is These insane when you fools. think about it like retro retrospectively i i understand yeah. the idea of io from what i guess mid-2000s all the way through hitman 1 yeah, like I don't think we it's that weird thing of I admire IO so much as a studio now, but I can't really sit here and be like, yeah, Hitman Absolution was was it? Like I can't yeah. I can't sit here and lie to you that like, you know, they were making yeah, hits or yeah. whatever. But
1: No, we couldn't have told the future on that, but of $1 course. for an entire studio is ridiculous.
2: <laughs> Especially now when you look at what Hitman yeah. 1 2 3 World of Assassination is, right? Like right now yeah, Hitman, yeah. I don't know if it's a money machine, but it's such a quality product and I, I put it up there is possibly the best stealth game of all time right and yeah, that's me looking yeah. at gameplay i know like the story of metal gear is more near and dear to my heart but when you look at what hitman 3 is today yeah. with all the maps with the modes with the um i forget what it's called but the roguelite mode like yeah it is an incredible experience and they're a very talented developer that now is working on a james Bond game and then also seems to be working on a fantasy multiplayer game with xbox like everything's looking up for io interactive right yeah. now
1: yeah, no, they really owned what they were doing and they managed to like write the ship when it came to this particular franchise. And it has been I mean, Hitman is like Riley, my one of my coworkers like favorite games of all time and it is because io got to just double down on all of the things that make it really really good i think my favorite thing about hitman is uh <laughs> i like the the sort of irreverent writing to make you feel not that bad about killing all these people
2: <laughs> oh yeah 1000 yeah. percent. like i love it because yeah all the targets are just cartoon villain levels of evil yes. and so and yes. they all and they're all rich rich and so it's like oh yeah of course i'll kill this guy like why not
1: yeah Merked. I got him. Like, like no did, you, did you play much
2: Hitman? Are you a big Hitman uh, fan?
1: I'm not a big Hitman person. I admire it, though. Like, I love... My favorite thing in the world is, like, funny clips and videos from Hitman. I could watch hours and hours and hours of those. It's television to me. Like, it's that good.
2: Yeah. And it's funny because, like, I think Hitman is weirdly... And I I think it's both accidentally but also on purpose a little bit of... It's one of the funniest games ever. Like, it It's is, so true. It is i think intentionally and unintentionally a comedy game because yeah. it like just from what the premise of it is right like oh yeah find all these creative ways to kill somebody like your agent your agent 47 you're the serious bald man with the barcode on his head like yes. you know you're doing this thing and just by virtue of what he's doing it's like well if he's going to be killing people in ridiculous ways like let's lean into it let's give him a banana yeah. that he can throw to knock people out right like let's I have him push people off of ledges. Like-
1: they anticipate the stupid stuff that, that people are going to do. Like the whole thing where, where the hit band is like a, an expert drummer also. Where he like yeah. puts on the costume of the guy that's in that band. And is just like suddenly whipping out to get like a drum solo. Or when he walks in the fashion show. It's like of course they knew some people were going to actually have to walk in the fashion show. So they programmed it into the game. They anticipate what players curiosity. It's a very player driven game in terms of what makes it so good. It's because they allow you to do something that's kind of stupid, like have a have a scheme that feels very Looney Tunes, but they make sure that it actually works.
2: Yeah. And they do it on a triple A level. And now they're like, yeah. I mean, they're independent, right? And they're kind of they're doing yeah. it on their own, but they do it on a level that we don't see many other studios that get the luxury of doing. You know, we, like, there's um we talk about like immersive sims, right? Like these games that allow yeah. you to play them the way you want and have these different options to like and they're all. They all kind of like feed into this Looney Tunes level of like shenanigans and going crazy and all that stuff. But over time, it feels like they, they've they gone away a lot. You know, like I think of games like Deus Ex. I think of games like uh, Dishonored or Thief or like pretty much any immersive sim that you can, that you, that you can list. Yeah. And a lot of them just aren't in development anymore because it's really hard to market. And it's hard to make people understand what makes these games yeah. tick and what makes them so fun. Um, you even, have
1: to be like a true freak to really understand the immersive sim, yeah. you know? I played the oh one of the first immersive sims that also inspired Bioshock but I'm terrible with names so we'll just move on um, is it System no, Shock I, it was System Shock the System Shock Remake there you go yeah it's always charades with me I'm sorry <laughs> but I reviewed the System Shock Remake for uh for Polygon and it's like hard to explain why System Shock was so revolutionary at the time that it came out because the things it does are the things that now every game is kind of expected to do right to like be mm-hmm. give you as many options as possible but it's not just about giving you any options as possible again like the whole game is a puzzle all of it is a puzzle everything you do is a possible solution to that puzzle and to really lean into that in this era where games are have a lot more things that you have to worry about in terms of programming like collisions etc etc um it's really hard to do it takes a lot of resources and io like they've just perfected that idea where it's like a, it's not like you, if you see that mountain, you can go to it, but it's like you see that guy, you can kill him with something stupid. You know? Yeah.
2: Like you see that guy, hey, you know that ability you have to levitate things? What if you levitated like a fucking like coffee cup and threw it out his head, right? Like it's that <laughs> yeah, level of interactivity yeah. that makes it fun. um yeah. You know, I like think for me, for me, the one I think of is Prey, where yes. I played Prey right after playing Deathloop because I enjoyed Deathloop so much. And it was my first time playing Prey. And as I was playing through it, I finished it and I was like, dude, that game is so awesome. And I don't, know how to like tell other pe- I don't know how to communicate yes, why this so game is hard. awesome like it's so yeah. hard to like be like yeah you can just do what you want like that's kind of what it is um yeah. and it's such when a fun time
1: system shock I would often spend like hours just being like I wonder what's down that hallway and it's like hard to explain how fun that is to just walk through like this totally built very physically interactive spaceship where every single door is a door you could open yeah and i was like oh i just walked around until i died and it's like it's hard to explain why that's really fun but the moments those moments of discovery where you're like will this work if i plug this in over here will it actually affect this thing over here and it actually does see yeah th- like, uh, th- that's great
2: and this is why i'm very excited and curious to see what this 007 game is going to be that they're working on because Obviously, like IO Interactive from Hitman has a lot of the makeup of what could make a great 007 game. Cool. Like maybe you have a target or an objective. Hey, you have all these gadgets. This is James Bond. Like go about navigating this level the way you want. I want to know. And what I'm very excited to see, is it going to be as funny as Hitman? Because I think the genre is just inherently funny. And I think IO Interactive knows how to lean into that that shit. Am I going to be playing through this 007 game laughing my ass off? Because that sounds amazing. Like that sounds like unlike any other 007 thing that I've played.
1: You know, my husband is a true James Bond freak also. So he's pointed out to me that in the 60s, you know, prior to the modern era, and even in sort of the 90s after, uh, you know, starting with, like, Die Another Day and stuff like that, James Bond games, James Bond movies are actually inherently extremely funny. Mm -hmm. There's a woman in those movies named Pussy Galore. (laughs) I don't really have to say anything more than that. So if I can't paint a tunnel on a wall and eliminate a target by coercing them to drive through it, then I don't
2: know what we're doing here. It has to be hilarious. 1,000%. Ladies and gentlemen, you know what else is hilarious? The content over on Patreon.com slash Kinda Funny. Over there you can get Kinda Feudy, you can get Next Gen Podcasts, and so much more. But also, you can go, you can get the show ad-free. And speaking of ads, let us tell you about
0: our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Shady Rays. Tis the season of giving. Get the perfect gift for a special someone, yourself, or both. Our friends at Shady Rays have you covered with premium polarized shades and quick swap snow goggles that won't break the bank. Shady Rays is an independent sunglasses company that offers an unrivaled product that's just as good as any expensive pair we've worn. Y'all know I've been outside in the sun a lot playing Pokemon Go, and it's such a great experience wearing Shady Rays when I'm out and about looking dope. And that's not all. Every pair of sunglasses is backed by lost or broken replacements. If you lose or break your pair, even on day one, they told us they will send you a brand new pair, no questions asked. Exclusively for our listeners, Shady Rays is giving out a very merry deal for the season. You can go to shadyrays.com, use code Kinda Funny for 50% off two plus pairs of polarized sunglasses. Try for yourself the shades rated five stars by over 250,000 people by going to shadyrays.com using code Kinda Funny, and you'll get 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. This episode is brought to you by Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions. It monitors your spending and helps you lower your bills all in one place. And it has surprised multiple of my friends and people are kind of funny at how many subscriptions they have that they have forgot. They're still paying for over 80% of people have subscriptions. They've forgotten about seriously. Think of how many free trials you've subscribed to that you've probably never canceled. That's why I'm such a big fan of rocket money. It's so easy to cancel the ones you don't want with just the press of a button rocket money can even negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill, and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps you lower your bills all in one place. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions and manage your money the easy way by going to rocketmoney.com slash kindoffunny. That's rocketmoney.com slash kindoffunny. rocketmoney.com slash kindoffunny.
2: With story number three, Digital Extremes Cuts Workers, this is Nicole Carpenter at Polygon. Wayfinder publisher Digital Extremes laid off more than 30 people, the company has confirmed. The layoffs were focused on the company's external projects and publishing teams, which were handling uh, Airship Syndicate's Wayfinder. Uh, Employees were pulled into small meetings Thursday and quickly lost access to company accounts. The layoffs come after Digital Extremes, which released Warframe in 2013, replaced founder James Smalls uh, with former Warframe creative director Steve Sinclair as the new CEO in October. The future of Digital Extremes publishing games like Wayfinder is unclear. Digital Extremes is looking to focus its resources internally and will stop supporting Wayfinder. It will trans- transfer full ownership over uh, the new months or sorry over the new few months uh, to developer Airship Syndicate, a Digital Extremes representative told Polygon action mo wayfinder was released in early access on august 17th to mixed reviews originally supported by both airship syndicate and digital extremes this is an interesting story to read off of coming uh, talking about uh, hitman and io because yeah. it seems like a similar thing of io and their work with hitman wasn't cutting it for Square, so square was like hey good luck on your own right and like now Io's doing their thing and now here you have yeah. the wayfinder devs with uh, digital extremes right not being able to make it cut and it seems like yeah like they're fully transferring that stuff over to the the the, the, stu- the studio. I don't know what all, like, all the details that encompass that. I don't know if it's, like, in the same way or not, but um, this is wild because I don't, I didn't know much about Wayfinder. Like, I didn't even know this game came out this year, if I'm being honest. Is yeah. this one you're familiar with?
1: No, I'm not a big MMO person, although I do play probably unhe- an unhealthy amount of Final Fantasy XIV.
2: <laughs> like, like many of us do. <laughs> yeah. By yeah. many of us, my roommate Michael Heim is who I'm talking about. <laughs> But yeah, like no. it's, it's, it's wild because we've been talking about, I mean, we've been talking a lot about layoffs recently, um, but obviously Bungie being one of the big ones. And with that, we've been talking a lot about PlayStation's live service and live service games in general. And one of the things that, that I bring up is, you know, if Bungie, can't do it with destiny, like, you know, like, is anybody do, like, is anybody able to keep up with what the live service demand is right now? Yeah. And one of the, one of the studios that keeps popping up in my head has been warframe like i've been thinking about warframe and how like i look at warframe as the guys that are that are low-key killing it like i hear fans talk about warframe all the time and ask me to play yeah. warframe and do all this stuff so and i know that for this digital extreme story it's more about wayfinder than warframe right but like still wild to see digital extremes take a hit like this
1: i mean this is like to me as a person who has particular political opinions about capitalism to me this is the curse of capitalism right you can be successful and still fail my my go-to example of this i mean i think it's more common in live service and mmo type games where you have daily you have to continue developing the game forever Like that's just there's no end in sight for that you will never put a cap on it Mm -hmm. but the story that i always think of is bioshock infinite and irrational games right where bioshock infinite was a smash hit it exploded through all of their sales goals and then by the time that life cycle the game is up the company folded because they didn't make enough money what industry at all does that make any kind of sense i i it's so disheartening to hear these kinds of stories Because uh, I don't, I feel like these layoffs could always be prevented.
2: Yeah. And, And yeah, it's, it's the tough thing too, where, you know, again, like this being more about their publishing efforts, this being more about the wayfinder thing. I, I like to see companies taking risks, especially on the publishing side of, Hey, like we have found success doing our own thing. Let's see who else we can uplift and let's see like what other games we can, that we have a specialty for, we have a passion for, let's see, how we can extend what we have and like lift other people up. And like, that's why I enjoy publishers like Annapurna and, and uh, yeah. devolver and like, yeah. you know, upcoming um, publishers to like, um, Oh, I can't think of the, Oh, Thunderful. Thunderful is actually one thing of like yes. Thunderful and others who are, Hey, they ha- we have a passion for this. We want to identify games. So we want to, you know, get them to the finish line and all that stuff. I like to see a variety of that because with industry consolidation, with, microsoft and playstation buying everybody right it's like i I get the fear of losing out of that variety and diversity and the type of games that get published um and so for me it's a bummer to see digital streams take this hit on that side right this probably leading to them being like okay well we're not doing that again like let's just keep doing warframe um because i think having more of that is healthy uh it's
1: good for the industry as a whole to to see I mean like not everything has to be a massive smash hit, right? Some things just need to find their audience and they need to a little bit of a monetary boost or uh, the infrastructure of a major publisher in order to do so. We're like we are making the world of games smaller with lay- layoffs like this. Less creative and less interesting. You yep. know, there's a lot of games that you just would never have thought of being a massive hit that became you know like a, a huge spark just because they got the attention of a major publisher i mean alan Wake 2 is an example of that right remedy doesn't really have uh it's in many ways i think remedy is a publisher i love or a, a developer i love but they're like a double a studio that is punching above its weight mm-hmm. with the epic games partnership they said that they just got a bunch of money from them and epic was really hands off and Alan Wake make two is one of the best games i played this year it's incredible like yeah we need more of that not less and we need it from a larger variety of publishers so that more kinds of games can be made
2: yeah i think the tough thing too when we're talking about wayfinder is you know looking at it it released at least on steam on august 17th and so it's been out for only a few months right like about what three months or so and already it is all right cool like we don't have the the audience there we got to cut it and to your point like i think some games need That space to see if they can grow and see if they can flourish into something. Now, granted, Wayfinder, the numbers might have been way low. It could, it might have been a thing of like, hey, no, like (laughs) this is a problem. Like, this
1: is a ghost town. Yeah, yeah. And
2: I don't doubt that because you know, like, I I don't want to sit here and throw shade at Wayfinder, but like, as I look through the footage of this game, I'm like, this game is not for me. Like, this is. It looks like MMO, the video game. Like, you know, it, it is one of those ones where I, and I'm, I'm also just not the kind of person to be playing this type of game. But like, I look at this and I'm like, okay, I can see how people would pass over this, right? But you know for a lot of games like this i see so many games come out and i feel the same way about them but then over time they're able to find an audience and are able to grow and are able to get better and better and better you know final fantasy 14 i'm looking at you destiny i'm looking at you right like there's so many games that come out and it is dead on arrival but then over time you're able to grow into something um the three months i think is a bummer
1: yeah yeah no uh a a cross media example is literally the legendary sitcom seinfeld like didn't Mm. really hit its stride until its third season it's very similar let me talk about family guys i mean like family guys they were cancelled and had to come back like it's ridiculous that these things don't get the resources to try it for at least one year you'd think that they'd give it a shot or nine months or so this is really depressing
2: yeah uh moving on we still got more depressing news story number four unity (laughs) unity is probably going to do some layoffs uh this is ash parish at the verge uh in its q3 earnings report published thursday game development software company unity announced that it'll likely be implementing layoffs as part of broader cost saving measures in the report the company says it is assessing its product portfolio to focus on those products that are most valuable to our customers and is evaluating the right cost structure that aligns with the with the more focused portfolio it plans to make changes during the fourth quarter and they'll likely include discontinuing certain product offerings reducing our workforce and reducing our office footprint the company expects to complete its changes before the end of q1 2024 gita i'm i'm sure you've been like i'm sure you've like been in tune with like all the stuff that's been going on in the last year of like all the layoffs and how it feels like it's been ramping up a lot even more recently as we go
1: feels unending, right? Like uh, almost every industry, but especially video games, you just see almost every day studio closure or a, a layoff. And here, like, it's, it feels so frustrating because we know, as people who are deeply entrenched in this industry, how many different kinds of video games use Unity products. There should be no reason for this. I, I, I part of me wonders if it's in any way related to indie developers, like, divesting from the company after the changes to the policies yeah. on how they could use Unity. But also, it just doesn't feel like, it just doesn't make any sense when, until you realize that the goal isn't sustainability. it is hand over foot profit every single year that scales and escalates in ways that no company could ever keep up with. And there's I, no reason for this to should be happening. these people should have their jobs
2: and I, I wonder too if it's like their the whole runtime fee fiasco that happened recently yeah. like i wonder if that was last lastest effort to go hey man like this is a, like we need way more money so we can like keep paying these people and keep doing our thing and keep our people up top happy and keep them rich and all that shit uh i wonder if that was like a ditch effort situation so when they had to like yeah. turn around on that they're like well somebody's gonna take the fall for this and it's not yeah. gonna be me at the top <laughs> it's gonna and be again- it's not gonna be john ricatello which i think actually was john Riccatello because i think he's not there anymore but you, you get it
1: Yeah, you know, it it is always fascinating, right? Where you see people end up losing their jobs and having to, because it's a consequence of a decision that they they didn't make. But the person who did make the decision doesn't even get like a pay cut. That seems ridiculous to me. You know, people in the C-suite of these companies, these publicly traded companies pay themselves like a ridiculous over-the-top salary it's more money than i'll ever see in my entire life but you mess up and make a decision that harms your company and you don't actually have to face any consequences for it it's the people that work for you that lose their jobs and lose their livelihoods and in america lose their in- access to health insurance
2: yeah uh it's it's a bummer to see like you mentioned um you know unity is a very popular engine that a lot of indie developers use That a lot of indie developers are conflicted with right now because of all the shitty decisions yeah. that have been going on in the, there as well um
1: you know but, i can't fault unity for wanting to get a slice of that genshin impact pie but they did it in such the wrong way yeah
2: the worst way possible too yeah, yeah. like it's it's that weird thing of like Genshin to them is kind of like what Fortnite might be to Epic, except Epic owns yeah. Fortnite, and so they see yeah. all of that pie. Whereas Unity's like, "Fuck, we want some of that pie. <laughs> like, how do we get? Yes, exactly. How do we get that pie?" <laughs> um But yeah, they do They tried it in the worst way possible.
1: Yeah, it's like a little cartoon of them trying to get a pie from a window, like a, win- a window. Yeah, and Miyoyo so slams like, their fingers
2: mm-hmm. on it. Or versus where they're called now, they're just like, "Nah, man, this pie is yeah. ours. We're keeping this shit." <laughs> Final news story. Story number five. Persona Five Strikers has sold two million worldwide. This is one for Barrett. Then uh, this is one I'm reading from Noble, right? Persona Five Strikers has sold two million. And then it's a link to the Persona um, website. Um, as a reminder, this is the one. This is not the new one, right? The new one is Persona Five Tactical. Strikers came out what a year or two ago, um, yeah. and it's the action uh, two, iteration. Two
1: years ago? It feels like
2: it came out yesterday for some reason.
1: I does. I feel like there's a new Persona 5 game, like literally every day. Every, yeah. I wake up and there's more Persona 5.
2: <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's not the one that just came out. It's also not the fighting game that's for Ultimax, but it's also not the dancing game that's dancing all night. It's I also think. not
3: the Q games on the 3DS. It's also you know. not Let the me Q games. tell you yeah.
1: something wild. I bought a refurbished PSP and, like, like, put a new battery in it because I found in a thrift store a copy of Persona 3 Portable, and that's when I started playing Persona games. So Hell to yeah. see this game get 2 million worldwide in sales makes me feel like my head's gonna spin around 360 degrees. <laughs> like, I can't believe how popular Persona is. It just, it it doesn't make any sense to me. it's it's it wild. difficult to play for a long time. It's so
2: wild because I remember listening to podcasts, uh, like, what, Podcast Beyond, like, 10 years ago, and Greg would talk about Persona Four Golden, and it's and I yeah. used to like, I, I, like they would talk about Persona Four Golden. They would also talk about like Dang and Rampa and like games that I would consider obscure at the time. Yeah, and I was always yeah. I was always like, oh man, like you know Persona. 4. I would always put them in the same in the same bucket of Persona, Dang and Rampa, Freedom yeah. Wars or whatever else. Yeah. Greg was playing. I'm like, oh yeah, it's I mean, all hell, it's all like, nerd shit. But Harvard and now it's the biggest thing another ever.
1: Another one of those grab bags too, and it's like that's yep. another enormously popular game. Stuff that I thought was like too niche maybe too japanese centric to be popular in america we just like live in a multicultural world now like yeah. people don't care people don't care and it's where awesome. come it's, from as long as they're sick it's yeah.
2: awesome to see right like the fact that yeah, yeah like we do live in such a multi- multicultural world now and people are playing per- like the amount of people that in like western society that are playing yes. uh persona and falling in love with it and the fact that yeah, yeah persona 4 golden is one of my favorite games of all time and persona 5 is up there as well right like yeah I could not have predicted this timeline where a game like this is bl- and, like Strikers in particular having 2 million, you know, like Persona yeah. 5 I expect to b- sell, I don't I don't know how many units, but I assume that it's at least like 10 million or something, right? Yes, per- Persona 5 Strikers selling 2 million, I've not even played Strikers, <laughs> like, and <Yeah,
3: 'cause laughs> I love Persona 5. <laughs> Uh, so at the end of 2022, Persona 5 sales topped at 8.3 million copies, with the total sales of the Persona franchise uh, at 16.8 million uh, mm. copies. I don't know if uh, we can get those numbers up. P5 uh, numbers includes royal or whatever, uh, but it's 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 cool to see, and I I imagine it's doing so well also because there's a lot of people who are like more into the action uh side of it rather yeah. than it not be like but
2: like for me as yeah. somebody who I, I like persona and i like action games i think the thing that hold that holds me back is the um just Mus- commit bless well it's the muso game aspect of it i know like yeah it's not a muso game right but it kind of is at the same time it's that it's that same team that's that's making it yeah so like in my head i'm like ah, oh, but that's dynasty warriors that's like something that like is too far beyond for me i mean two million speaks loudly right the fact yeah, that hey it right? worked like people actually I, play it
1: for a long time i thought the muso game style of game was just probably too japanese again for people in america to really like people in america have been incredibly xenophobic about japanese games for a long time and i thought yeah. this i did not think there was anything the muso game could do to combat that but it turns out like
2: you just put them in different franchises yeah yeah, make people a Zelda muso. <laughs> make a make a persona muso. Like
3: God, I forgot the Zelda muso games exist. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah. and
1: people want I mean it's also part of it I think is the the character writing and Persona 5 and the Persona series in general people love those characters yeah. and I feel like that's also why the Fire Emblem Muso really worked I still go back and replay Fire Emblem Three Houses because I love those characters and I just love interacting with those characters and I want to see I want to just revisit my friends again well here's a new game where you can visit your friends and maybe it's not a style of game that you would have played before but your friends are still there
3: Yes. Yeah. And Bless, that's the big pitch for Strikers for you. When, when you miss the P5 characters, I think that's the the game for you and to check out.
2: That, and that will happen because that's why I played Royal. You know, when Royal first yeah. came out, I was like... I ain't playing this 120 hour game for a second time and then like a bit later into that year i was like you because
3: i was deep into it and i kept hitting you up and being like yo, yeah you're like yo. good though.
2: and i started thinking about it. i was like yo i kind of miss this world like yeah. i kind of miss these characters like i kind of want to go yeah. back again and i ended up playing another 120 hours of that game
3: strikers was yeah. a humbling experience though it made me realize that i'm too stupid for muso games
2: <laughs> mm. see here's my thing because we've gotten multiple um persona um like spinoffs persona 5 spinoffs now is tatia out yet Tactica is
3: it. out next week. Sick. Oh my God. Are the reviews See, or I'm anything a out, or is it like freak. there are some previews out? Previews. Okay. Here's my thing. That's all I know.
2: Like I don't think I don't think I'm gonna play Tactica, and mm. I I I missed out on Strikers. They've not made a Persona Five fighting game, and that would be mm. like that would be my spinoff that I'd get super into. But here's my thing: I, while we're there's making spinoffs, there's rumors. Oh man, I hope so, dude. What I want, give me a Persona Kart Racer.
1: Oh my god! I'll play Persona Sorry. Kart. It was involuntary. <laughs> that would be so
3: good. <laughs> I would be I so down for Persona car- legit. Kart. Legit. While we're here, because then, then you know it's gonna be like a good, good kart racer. Because even though like the Muso like action gameplay wasn't for me, when they jump from different genres like uh, the dancing games I know are kind of whatever but yeah. then, uh, like the, the Persona 4 Arena Ultimax when they do different genres and are developed by different uh, developers they really go all out on the gameplay yeah it's the like games pan. are good yeah Damn. No,
1: like every time they switch genre, they really put their entire content to it. Like so they really like absolutely slay uh, the dancing games. They're really fantastic rhythm rhythm games. They really are. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the fighting games. I mean, I used to date a guy that was really into anime fighters and he would I'm always match them up. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it was really annoying. <laughs>
2: I, I say <laughs> like, that like I'm not into anime fighters. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry for I'm you. Oh, that sucks. Fighters, Meanwhile, but- I'm going to go home and play Guilty Your Strive.
1: Oh my God, Guilty Gear is so good. Guilty I Gear is Guilty fucking Gear. amazing. I'm garbage at these games, but I, I love Guilty Gear and just all of the games in that series because the art direction is so good. And also, how fun is it to say, Heaven or Hell, let's rock? Like, it oh just, it's very I'm fun. I'm going to boot up Guilty Gear after it, this i say it when i have to clean the bathroom like in my head heaven or hell let's oh, run
2: let's go And then you just play the music in your head. go like yeah. i listen to music while i'm taking a shower so like that's yeah. that's the moment where i like i reach over my phone and i'm like let's play this shit like we're playing this music yeah, right now
1: absolutely get ready to go for your day that's such a good way to wake up i should make that shit my alarm honestly
2: Gina, you know, i'm very excited for whenever we get the persona cart racing game but that game yes. is just so far away if i want to coming out to mom grab shops today where would i look
1: the official list of upcoming software across each and every platform as listed by the kind of funny games daily show hosts each and every weekday.
2: <laughs> yeah. Out today. Ah, oh, it tried. It tried.
1: just one. <laughs> it's ah, really funny. We'll get
2: there. Uh, out today we got Call of Duty Modern Warfare three for PS five, Xbox Series X, PS4, Xbox One, and PC. Uh, we got one new date for you. Arcane season two is coming November twenty twenty four. So you got a year, everybody i never finished arcane
1: i never i hearing the imagine dragon song
2: that I, really honestly for me. I, I i i agree like having yeah. to sit through an imagine dragon song every time i want to watch this show too much i can't, too I can't much do for it for
1: me. cyberpunk
2: uh, edge runners had it figured out because that theme slapped like that theme yes. was fucking fire imagine yeah, dragons yeah. i imagine not no uh, i'm not
1: imagining dragons ever in my life
2: yeah i ain't got time for this uh we gotta we let's open up you're wrong of course you can write it dot com slash you're wrong where you write in let us know what we got wrong as we got it wrong so we can correct it for those watching later on youtube and listening later on podcast services around the globe and we got nothing we got one person that's like editorializing saying people have always loved japanese games but
1: I, there's some debatable. interesting clips on the internet that I think you could see of one of the a, a televised video game show where they reviewed video games, talking about how video games were too Japanese and really weird. I
2: know exactly so, exactly the clip that you're talking about. Um, but yeah, like I'm, of course some people like Japanese games, and of course a lot of people did, right? Like
1: yeah, I mean we were there, right? We liked Japanese games at yeah, this time. Yeah, plenty plenty I of people did. did. I loved them. But
2: there's yeah. also plenty of people that are like you know that would hate and throw and like make fun and like yeah for sure like cast stones at japanese games so two sides of it Uh, that's been it it for today's kfgd tomorrow's host or not even not even tomorrow because tomorrow's saturday next week's host for kind of funny games they're gonna be on monday me and andy on tuesday greg and me on wednesday me and andy (laughs) on thursday me and tim on friday tim and me you're getting me every single day so look forward to that uh thank you so much for coming through it's been a pleasure to have you on the show um super fun How can people support you over at Aftermath? Where can people go to find your work?
1: Well, if you go to aftermath.site, you'll see a blog that I co-founded with all of my friends. And if you go to aftermath.site slash products, you can see where you can subscribe. Right now in this like launch week, we are making all of our stories free. But in, in the future, there will be a pay gate after two articles. Uh, and you can see that you actually will get lots of bonuses if you sign up. We do have a podcast that I was hoping to tell Greg about. That was um, me and my very good friend, Alex Jaffe, uh, we have a podcast where we're doing a retrospective on the DC Comics series 52. And we are oh. doing it issue by issue Damn. and going back and analyzing every page and talking about how this is like really the origin of what the DC Extended Universe and the MCU is attempting with having a, a world that is exists in like real time. Mm. And 52 shouldn't have worked. It was a, w- a weekly series, but uh, which is like a ridiculous thing to do when you're a comic book. Um, but, you know, through our free episodes and, like, the bonus episodes that we're going to do, we have some very interesting interviews, I'll say, uh, in our bonus episodes. We are going to try to explore and explain, like, why this was such a miraculous thing that happened and also why you should read it now in the year of our Lord 2023.
2: Hell yeah. I mean, you you just sold me on 52. Like, I might actually start reading comics because that sounds yeah. incredible. Um, 52 really whips. <laughs> yeah. Let me tell you. I Last night, I watched the Marvels movie and I came home and then I watched the low-key season finale and... I've I've been thinking a lot about the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the and like just universes yeah. in general because man did yeah. I get some whiplash <laughs> watching both yeah, those things no, back like- to back.
1: 52 is great because it's also like this is not batman superman wonder woman it's the story of like the also like the the other heroes that exist in the dc universe and what they get yeah. up to when uh, superman batman and wonder woman are like too busy for for taking care of gotham and metropolis so it's got like the question who is this super cool weird film noir character like he's in a trench coat and he has a mask with no face and uh renee montoya who's like my favorite one of my favorite dc characters and then uh black adam this is also the story of like like the rock losing his mind in such a way where he decided to devote the rest of his life to playing black album on the cinematic like screen Hell like, yeah the, the way that black adam is characterized comes from 52 and like Hell yeah that was it it broke his brain forever
2: <laughs> that's awesome uh, of course yeah. go and support aftermath akita thank you once again for coming uh, through and joining us on KFD. hope to have you back soon because it's awesome.
1: Absolutely. I had a wonderful time. Thank you for having me.
2: Of course, this has been Kind of Funny Games Daily each and every weekday live right here on YouTube.com slash Kind of Funny Games and Twitch.tv slash Kind of Funny Games. We run you through the nerdy news you need to know about. Until next time, Game Daily.